Hit it. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. We're back for 2016. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. Today's film is The Revenant, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hardy. And we've seen the film. I watched it on opening night at 8.30pm, and so we're going to be talking about it with spoilers in mind. Just a heads up if you haven't seen it, maybe check out The Revenant before listening to this podcast. But if you don't mind, we'll just keep it going. Lloyd, The Revenant, or will Leonardo DiCaprio finally win an Oscar? Uh, what do you I think? hope he does. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to quickly say, I saw this uh, opening night too at 6.30 in um, Hoyt's Belconnen, and I have to say, with modern audiences, a lot of people were looking at their phones throughout this movie. Like this kid next to me, young guy, um, kept looking at his phone. And, like, he did a quite a bit at the beginning. And as I turned, I was going to say something. I looked over and there was three other people looking at their mobile phones as well. I was just, like, you know, it's. I think people didn't know what kind of movie they were getting themselves into and were getting a bit bored by yeah. it. It's just like, oh, didn't you guys see Birdman? <laughs> well, this is it. I was wondering about 156 minutes, whether or not that would be too long. We've speculated about whether The Hateful Eight is too long. And this one doesn't have Tarantino dialogue to get it through. This one's got large portions of quiet, you know? Yeah, it's like a silent film for a lot of it. And, you know, uh, it, it isn't a, uh, like a typical revenge film that I guess the trailers were depicting. This mm. is a very, like, you know, Gonzalo Alejandro... You have a go pronouncing his name, Dave. <laughs> I'll say Alejandro Gonzalez Inoritu. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> um what he often employs is that magical realism he's very and this is what i like about a lot of these uh, mexican filmmakers is that they bring that spiritual aspect that's embedded throughout their whole culture with day of the dead and and all the rest of it you feel it all throughout um guillermo del toro's work and definitely um with, with his work and the revenant is so steeped in that he actually said that the basic structure of this film the basic spine of it is so simple it's the revenge um, it, it, the betrayal and revenge story that's the spine of the movie and if you got a good beat you can have a guitar rift you can have a drum solo you know that that's actually what he said so he uses the that I guess to go into those spiritual aspects of the film uh, where you get these flashbacks where you get um, his uh, magical realism technique that he often employs like all throughout Birdman obviously that was employed and all throughout um, The Revenant here um, so I-, I actually thought that hurt the film which we'll get into the the fact that he kept going to those flashbacks I thought it stretched out the film way too much and I really really wanted a basic <laughs> revenge story myself I didn't mind the slow pacing of him looking into oblivion into the in the snow but um uh, the magical realism stuff i thought was really unnecessary well after the film um i was thinking maybe it was just like gladiator was the basic thing to compare it to man loses his family in this case the wife is presumably dead the son passes away through the film he's got nothing left to lose and he's been put in this predicament by a person which is representative by tom hardy here and joaquin phoenix and gladiator and he wants to get his revenge and then Beyond that, he looks at the camera at the end, which we'll get to, 
uh, and sort of this like what do I do now like what would you have me do now what am I going to do now kind of thing the revenant uh, for those who don't know it means a person who returns or a person who returns as a spirit after death like a ghost to haunt the living yeah so this is somebody who's survived a what should have been fatal bear, t- bear attack and who's sort of coming back as they've been left for dead I suppose I just want to make sure you don't think, and I, I don't think this, but we don't think he died at some point during the film and, like, this was an actual spiritual, magical realism revenge No, story. and this film is based on actuality. Um, Hugh Glass, I think his name was, who what actually did happen, that's factual, he did get left behind, left for dead by his fellow company men after being mauled by a bear, and he did come back um, for a guy of Fitzgerald, but I don't think he actually killed him from memory from reading the, the real story, because he signed up as a soldier. And so they took great. They took that mythology, if you can call it a mythology, because it actually happened. And then they took great liberties in telling this spiritual revenge story. That's right. You've nailed that absolutely. Um, real story. He let the guys live when he found them again. For me, one thing I was thinking watching this film was that it was very much like a Terrence Malick. Um, yeah, he- that's a great comparison. As well as the gladiator comparison you just brought up, especially with the flashbacks and everything like that. The thing is, we've done some Terrence Malick films. The very first episode we did was uh, Tree of Life. You guys can go back and find Birdman, which we've covered as well on this podcast. Uh, They use the same cinematographer. Uh, Terrence Malick uses Emmanuel Lubezki. Lubezki. The Mexican um, DOP, yep. Yeah, and he's used him for Night of Cups, which we're planning on talking about on this podcast. And so The Revenant has this Terrence Malick look, you know, which made me think a lot of uh you know that pocahontas film the new world i love that movie yeah <laughs> yeah did you get a sort of vibe the uh, colin farrell film? exactly yeah very very similar <laughs> and yeah, that was shot in natural lighting as well exactly well this is the thing this film the revenant i think technically is fantastic natural lighting is a real winner um, I feel like the cinematography is fantastic. Absolutely. Long. And the one take um, thing that he always employs in his films, the choreography with the camera work and the action is very beautiful. Like um, just the action scene at the very beginning where the Indians are attacking uh, that th- those poachers and they struggle to get to the boat. Like, uh, I, I, gosh knows the amount of anxiety everyone had when they had the brief one hour of daylight to shoot the magic hours, they call it. Um, and everybody must have choreographed all day to get it right. And then, bang, we got an hour to shoot this. Let's get it right. Oh, my gosh. That must have been terrifying. I'm going to try and call them Native Americans instead of Indians through the podcast. Just because I think that's what they prefer to be called. The whole opening sequence was fantastic. Suddenly, there's uh, arrows flying into people's necks, you know. The, the thing that got it for me was when he was doing one of those opening shots. And we actually would go from one person until they died... Then we'd pick up on the person who killed them or we'd move to the right and then to the left of frame. And we actually wind up on board with a horse and a Native American riding to the left of frame and until he's knocked off the horse and then the camera follows the person who knocked him off the horse. And and like this kind of uh, chaos, basically, I thought it was really amazingly handled. And I was wondering, the opening shot of this film, we see a shot of a river. The camera follows this sort of uh, flow of water as it gradually, gradually incorporates Leonardo DiCaprio into the frame and then they shoot at a, a deer or an elk. As we're doing that shot, I was thinking, oh, I hope this isn't like a really slow movie. And then when we hit that action sequence, I was like, fantastic, I'm on board. 
I was just a little worried this whole thing was going to be a big Terence Malick. Um, yeah, I was know, I was afraid of mess. to the wonder. <laughs> to the wonder, yeah. And there were times where I sort of thought, oh no, we're sort of heading that way. <laughs> but just for a broad review, the beginning's fantastic. I love the knife fight at the end and some of the lead up to it. But the middle for me is where this film suffers. There's a part where he meets a Native American man and he's uh, he's eating buffalo and he goes and joins him and becomes kind of an odd couple thing in the middle. And they're sort of catching snowflakes on their tongues and I'm watching him sleep and recover and go in a, you know, a spiritual tent for a, a what do you call it? Like a drug-induced kind of vision, I suppose. Yeah, I sort of um, saw that as a recovery stage, definitely. Sure. Um, there's sort of so many recovery stages to watch that I was, the middle I was like, well, I can see this is getting a bit thin. Like, there's only so many things I can watch Leonardo DiCaprio do. Yeah, I, I thought that as well. For me, what got it was the horse part. Like, as fantastic as that scene was, he has to take um, salvation in, inside of a dead horse, uh, much like Empire Strikes Back, I guess, but they wouldn't oh, yes. dare. It's they hard would, not to think of that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> they wouldn't dare show that. <laughs> the rest of that sequence of hard-throwing Luke inside it. Um, uh, uh, other than that... Um, sequence I, I just thought they went a bit too far with the recovery stage at that point because you know when he saves the girl uh um from those uh french uh guys the bandits i don't know what they were poachers or something like that and and then he takes the horse and he gets chased down he falls off a cliff he basically recovers i think he was really hurt from the fall and that's you know because i thought he had recovered a hundred percent just prior to that because of that um meeting that indian and him building him that whole hut and everything like that i thought okay bam he's he's covered he's recovered pretty much a hundred percent now and then he steals the horse he falls off a cliff and then we're back to square one again where he's hurt and that's why Donald gleason when he finds him lost in the wilderness he's almost delirious like he, he doesn't have his strength i was a bit lost there i was like oh okay so the fall must have really hurt him and we're back to you know stage two again or one again i was a bit sick of kind of uh i suppose metaphors on screen oh yeah he, he loves those the comet at the scene you know for a scene for a movie as beautiful as this the photography is top of the line all natural light the incredible incredible um landscapes of america and then we had a, a touch of cgi with the bisons all running with the with the wolves that I, i've seen no reviewer mention this at all so i could have seen this wrong but it looks so fake to me all the wolves the wolves taking down that one bison and all the herds running that whole sequence looks so fake to me and it, in any other film that probably would have been top of the line cgi but because we're in this world of natural lighting of gorgeous photography and everything like that that really stood out for me i was like wow what a weird choice it really hit me in the face it was hard not to notice the cgi animals i suppose they couldn't really do it any other way or not have it just don't yeah. have that sequence just yeah. cut to the part where he sees the fire and then the Indians eating a bison. Just have that sequence. You could argue that about lots of parts of this film. Just, <laughs> just cut past that. <laughs> the, the metaphors I want to talk about really quickly. There were so many times uh, he's buried, left for dead by Tom Hardy and uh, Badger or Beaver or whatever the guy's name is. Uh, he's left in the dirt and he has to kind of rebirth himself, you know, crawling out of his grave. Uh, he does the same thing with the tent he busts his way out of it 
he busts his way out of the horse sort of the amount of times he has to kind of you know uh push through something like a cocoon yeah and emerge out of the water in a sense after he got away from the indians definitely sure sure there's also the constant quote of uh the tree with the branches look at them in the storm how you're sure the tree will fall down or whatever but look at the uh what do they say look at the the trunk and you will see its stability they sort of really hit you over the head with that leonardo dicaprio is like a tree he has stability <laughs> leo equals tree and i felt like a bunch of times the amount of sort of uh loving shots of trees really hit it over the head for me i was like okay meet okay. me in the storms in the store oh i don't care <laughs> this could have been a silent film like i thought that's what they were going to go for but once the voiceovers started coming really repetitively i don't think you can hide behind oh this is going to be a silent film as much as possible uh, I-, I think they overused the voiceover too much in a sense like i really didn't like the dream sequence he says that's a way to tell the landscape of the soul or to tell his inner workings of the soul he wanted to use the dreamlike imagery and we see a bit of tarkovsky there with the girl floating or sorry magical realism with the girl floating and things like that i love it how you briefly see it and stuff like that but there was just too much of it and where my eyes were rolling was the church sequence okay yeah where he meets his um uh son and he's at the church and then they embrace and you know just like oh come on yeah yeah that i was wondering what the symbolism was there and if it was necessary but that was part of the dream sequence of him being in that tent with a drug-induced kind of uh recovery i suppose i like to think it's drug-induced because he was pushing things into his bloodstream you know into his back but i'm not 100 percent sure the director said it was like a theatric play all of the actors embraced that thinking all the actors were really powerful and i couldn't be happier to witness really the miracle of art and I was thinking, it is very much like a play. I feel like Tom Hardy's character, the first few things he said, I was like, I don't understand you. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people complained about that, and they kept bringing up references to Bane. And, yeah. you know, you're just like, oh, he's so hard to understand. You know, I, I didn't find him hard to understand at all. Oh, I found him understand, uh, hard to understand for the first couple of things he said, then I understood. Yeah, like, then was, you got the flow of his dialogue. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Like, I know what, what you mean. Did he, yeah. did he just mumble? Yeah. <laughs> The bit where they leave him for dead and he says to the other guy, so shoot him or something. It sounded very (laughs) Bane-esque. Nothing else he said sounded like Bane to me. Just that one line when he sort of yells, then shoot him or whatever. It's just sort of the pitch or something in it. I thought Tom Hardy had some fantastic monologues and I thought that um, really that's what made it kind of like a play. The bit where he's saying to him, all you have to do is blink. You know, and, and I'll smother you. You know, you can. And he does this. agree. That's the great ambiguity about this movie is that um, he did. Leonardo DiCaprio's character Hugh Glass did agree to um, Tom Hardy's terms. I don't know how do you not blink under that. Oh wait, I'm, I didn't mean to blink. Then I was just actually blinking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, um, he couldn't. He couldn't shake his head. I thought he could probably <laughs> shake his head left and right, but he doesn't. He sort of eventually blinks. Yeah, he eventually um, blinks. So there is an agreement there, and then the misunderstanding. What he should have done, Tom Hardy was quickly right away going. And no, no, I asked him. I asked him, "Does he want to go out?" You know. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to see Tom Hardy as the bad guy in this. They make him more villainous than the the original guy probably was. I want to talk about the bear attack. Oh, spectacular! Yeah, I mean, this is when the audience in my theater really got on board did they all laugh at the very end of that of the bear attack yeah 
when, no, no, when he, they fell down the hill. Yeah, when he fell down the hill and the bear rolled on top of him, the whole audience burst out laughing. No, that didn't happen in mine. Sure. Um, somebody went, oh, man, like an audible groan, like now he's trapped under a bear. They're not going to be able to move it. <laughs> but then those the rest of his crew turn up, I suppose, and then they're able to easily sort of move the bear. It's not really explained. But the bit everybody sort of got laughed at, I suppose, was when, and this was I thought was an insane choice, was when uh, he was going away from the Native Americans and he goes down sort of a waterfall bit. And he's like, whoa, and just like taking small tumbles through the water. And they found that funny. Chuckling at that. Wow. Like, well, I guess they got to find humor somewhere in this very, very grim story. Yeah, there were some couples. And I mean, they must have thought it was like a date movie. Like, oh, the new Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Remember Titanic, honey? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the Wolf of Wall Street? <laughs> they they put their arms around each other quite a bit during the film and so i think some of it was like well we're in this together kind of they committed to it but as soon as the credits hit a lot of people stood up straight away like <laughs> yeah I, I did i really need to go to the bathroom plus the phones were annoying me yeah fair enough i was wondering about the budget on this 135 million dollars yeah ballooned seems- out from 60 million i heard and it just kept going up and a lot of people quit Uh, during the making of this movie what i would love to see is a making of documentary i don't think we'll get that on the blu-ray release of this film because quite often those making of documentaries come out some years after the film has come out the biggest example is heart of darkness which was a documentary on apocalypse now and uh, that film took a long long time for it to come out and it won an academy award i think it won an academy award and i would love to see one on the revenant just how hard dicaprio and everyone threw themselves into this movie well, DiCaprio called it the hard, hardest performance of his career. Like, um, the trivia on IMDb says he had to devour a raw slab of bison's liver, even though he's a vegetarian. He had to learn to shoot a musket, build a fire, speak two Native American languages, Pawnee and Arakara, and study with a doctor who specializes in ancient healing techniques. So he's thrown himself into this. And at one point when he caught the fish, I was wondering if he really did catch a fish (laughs) and eat that fish. Yeah, like I thought, I don't know if he's method acting this. I I thought maybe he was. The $135 million, like you say, it ballooned out. I looked at that figure and I had no idea people quit whatever yeah and uh, he shot it in sequence apparently although tom hardy in a later interview said no we didn't shoot that in sequence um like as in the whole film is in chronological order like phone booth they shot scene one the first day scene two you know you know what i mean um Mm -hmm. apparently uh said yes we did shoot this in sequence in interviews and that was an interview with my favorite director michael mann which you can find on youtube absolutely fantastic to see michael mann and this great um, up-and-coming director together and michael man's a huge fan of his work you could argue that he's not an up-and-coming director anymore no he's he, well in the game but he just looks he won the director's yeah. <laughs> oscar <laughs> but yeah 135 million i thought was high 65 does sound like a more uh you know doable estimate on this just i was thinking geez like leonardo dicaprio maybe he got a massive paycheck straight up front for this all i could think about was how they were using natural light so they need no lights out there it's basically a costume drama um and a lot of the time there's very few actors so i was trying to think where the money was on screen i was like the cgi bear you know i did read people arguing online whether or not the bear was real and like how great a job 
Leonardo DiCaprio had done acting opposite that bear. In that in that Michael Mann interview, someone from the audience asked, "Oh, how did you shoot that bear sequence?" And he said, "Look, if I I love movies and they create there's a magic in in cinema, and if I tell you how I did it, it might ruin that magic. So I can't tell you." <laughs> I like to think he was on some kind of pulley system of ropes, and they whipped him back and forth. Well, what's the guy's name who always plays Gollum, and he was in Force? Uh, Andy f- Circus. <laughs> Maybe it was just Andy Circus behind him, chopping at him. Playing a uh, CGI bear with little dots on his face. I guess it's possible. They repetitively said that um, as long as you have a breath in your body, you know, keep going, keep fighting. And I love, yeah, there's a touching scene where he sits by his son, like he lies on his uh, chest, and then he puts a leaf over his um, mouth, and I thought that was really directed at that whole breathing analogy that they kept talking about. A few times, like when he did lie down one time, he sort of breathed on the camera and just suddenly onto the lens. And, I don't know if you... Oh, and what about that sound that he used as well where Leonardo DiCaprio's breathing? I think it's at that when his son is dead and then we cut to the clouds and all we hear is him breathing. Yeah, which is what happened at the end of the movie as well. Repeated the theme, but I thought the cut to clouds was sort of to create a transition because when he breathes on the lens, fogging it up and then it's sort of easier to That's cut That's a great point. Absolutely. He does really well with his transitions. I remember with Birdman, we had like loud, loud, loud drums and then it would cut to silence. And he did that here as well. I, I, I wish done. I paid more attention to the sound in this movie because I, I I think it was absolutely beautiful from memory, but I can't think of any specific moments um, other than the breathing. I feel like Tom Hardy was pretty fantastic in this. Just the same sort of vibe as Edward Norton in Birdman. Having like that kind of second actor who's a supporting actor if you will uh like of that quality i i thought edward norton should have won an oscar for birdman and was he even nominated he was nominated yeah the guy from whiplash won supporting actor uh his name escapes me j jonah jameson in this first spider-man trilogy the audience really reacted as well to when he closed his neck hole uh with the gunpowder Oh, yeah, and he flinches. Oh, well, yeah, like uh, that. Um, I love the makeup in this. The only time it kind of looked fake was at that moment for me um, okay. where, it, where it looked like he was like um, actually had a neck brace around him with that makeup on it. But, yeah, it really made me flinch. I was like, oh. And when it, they showed his back when they were sewing it, Donald Gleason was sewing his back, the wounds are just like, oh. <laughs> Do you think this is where cinema's going? I mean, we've got Gravity, for example, as like an extreme survival tale where the character Sandra Bullock plays. Do you reckon, do you see comparisons between Gravity and this film? Well, just in that it's like a constant fight for survival in these circumstances. I'm not saying they're exactly the same, obviously. But there's similarities, yeah. Yeah. I was just wondering if we're going to start seeing like somebody parachute out of a plane and then as they land they're in a war field you know like of two countries they're not familiar with and you know just suddenly crazy survival stories is this sort of a way that cinema is going yeah no absolutely with the technology that's available nowadays um you can really enhance those things and it's a bit mean for me to say that with the revenant they're trying to be as old school as possible in the sense without um, as much special effects with the natural lighting and all that but um, I love survival movies I really like Castaway I liked watching Everest that we recently seen and I love the the environment becoming a character in this it's a very aggressive uh, aggressive unforgiving character that really suits the theme of revenge 
and uh, betrayal so it really it was really really great and if we're going to see more movies like this i would really like to see them i'm really curious to see the hateful eight as well like um that's another western uh, uh, based around the same period and I, I just like to see what how that director chooses to employ the environment yeah i'm planning on seeing that in 70 mil um which i think you are fantastic. so lucky <laughs> yeah lots of cinemas in melbourne 70 millimeter it's fantastic let me ask you a question. Do you think he had final cut in this film? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. I think, so I, think I think he's got final cut in any film he does. He just doesn't seem like a director who'll sign on with without final cut um, in the end. Personally, I'd like to see a, a fan edit of this movie with all the dream sequences cut out. <laughs> uh, did you like Tom Hardy's monologue? He had many good ones, but the one where his uncle or his buddy or whoever it was found God. A squirrel. And he said he was a squirrel and he, he shot and ate that bitch. <laughs> See, Tom Hardy had all the best lines in this, and I know that's probably because Leonardo DiCaprio was, you know, unable to speak through a lot of the film. Yeah, and quite often the antagonist is the most fun to play. Yeah. I thought this would have been a really fun role for him, and he almost didn't get it. Apparently it was um, supposed to be Sean Penn for a long time. Wow. They've worked together a few times. Actually, 21 grams. Yeah. yeah, I can only think of one 21 grams. <laughs> well, I mean, if you count the Oscars telecast where Sean Penn hands him his best director Oscar, then uh, it happened there as well. I thought of a, uh, a fantastic how this should have ended, Lloyd, and I hope you'll appreciate it. So the whole movie, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is recovering from injury and trying to get back to Tom Hardy. Eventually, he gets to him, he fights him, the revenge is given, and then out of the woods, a bear comes out. And the whole movie, the bear has been slowly recuperating and <laughs> licking his wounds, and he's back to finish the job because he separated him from his bear cubs. And What about the, the cub movie. just grows up and for vengeance against the mum? Oh, and like, like the there's two of them. Like, there's two of them. They're like tag teams. Uh, two cubs, yeah. <laughs> I like the idea that the bear has been also in recovery the whole movie, rubbing, uh, you know, some <laughs> leaves on its wounds and <laughs> just uh, gradually recovering. But yeah, an amazing third act twist <laughs> that the bear gradually uh, gets revenge. Right after he beats Tom Hardy's character, the bear beats him <laughs> and then kind of walks away with the blood in the snow. <laughs> this is a revenge tale and i love revenge stories they're like my favorite subgenre of the action and this is one of the most spectacular one of the most beautiful and very very intelligent addition to it um the whole film builds up to the confrontation between um fitzgerald and glass and they come together in a very very brutal fight sequence and i love the choreography of it how um he sets up a trap like Donald Gleason, uh, which, which is so strange how they split up and poor Dom Gleason just gets shot in the head. A really strange bullet wound as well. It looked like his head was elongated or something. Like, like his just... skull, like he'd been capped or something. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It looked freaky. And uh, I love is, it. Like, as soon as the two of them were alone, sorry to cut you off, Dominal Gleason and Leonardo DiCaprio's characters go off together. I was thinking, why wouldn't they bring more men for this? Yeah, I I, I thought of that too. I thought maybe because he didn't have any more money left in the safe, he wasn't able to pay his men in advance or something like that. But that's so strange. He went out on a search party armed to the teeth with an army of guys, yet to search for a a, a dangerous killer that you know he's a dangerous killer because how he left... um, Leonardo DiCaprio there and then not only that he stole your money from the safe like this guy is a criminal wouldn't you get your best men like we're going to ride out and we're going to get this guy 
Yeah, and you can say money when we get him. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, once we get him, yeah, you'll you'll get the money. But uh, the thing is that money, like, it just kind of washes away down river. Like, it's not a focal point at all. So, yeah, I don't want to see what happens after this movie to the characters who have no money sitting around waiting, killing each other until that next boat arrives. That action sequence, my gosh, how he uh, set up the trap, Donald Gleason with the stick. Um, like, he, he pulls him up with the stick and then... Um, which brings out uh, Fitzgerald out of hiding. He's got the long-range advantage, comes up close, sees it's a trap, and then he gets shot in the arm, runs into a forest to try and get cover, misses his shot, and then begins the chase. And they're both so exhausted, which is very rare you see in movies. Quite often the chase sequence happens and then they're fighting right away with unbelievable cardio, you know, but they're, they're so tired at the end. And I love it how he Fitzgerald um, quickly brings back, no, no, we had an agreement, like I was going to kill you, you know what would happen, but he did kill his son. <laughs> and then we have uh, a fight scene. He's got a knife advantage uh, because, you know, we've seen him with a knife a few times. He's very good with it. And uh, I guess... It's a little small axe. Yeah, and a small axe or tomahawk. I, I don't know if that that is an actual tomahawk, but um, th- yeah, he, he just all he has is an axe because he lost his rifle sliding down that mountain. And we have a very bloody primitive fight sequence no special martial arts choreography just two guys coming at each other so biblical i guess so primitive and i love that um and it's strange at the end he chooses not to kill him puts him in the river and lets god let god take revengeance into his own hands or something like that and then he gets scalped by the indians finishing off the job which they didn't finish in the past yeah which seemed like it was always going to happen to him in a way (laughs) Uh, unfortunately that whole prop up stick business where then he's on the side saddle and he kind of shoots at him and misses that shot was in the trailer and in all the tv spots the trailer gave out too much i think (laughs) yeah it was a combination of here's all the best stuff you know i mean you can't have a trailer of him longingly looking at snow though when they topple down that hill and like you say he's exhausted and there's a slow chase i thought sort of thought like leonardo dicaprio was a little bit like the terminator there you know he's just this unstoppable slow force that's he doesn't need to run you know i was sort of thinking it was more calculated but i could see how it would be exhaustion easily did you think it was weird that fitzgerald could crack the safe yeah i would have liked to have seen that how he would have done that but i I just assumed it wasn't a very safe safe (laughs) i guess so um i suppose gunpowder in the lock set it off there was nobody guarding the safe which was strange but i suppose you know there would have been a window yeah besides that reveal in the trailer like i really enjoyed that final sequence and when he casually cuts off his fingers and he doesn't yell in pain at all he's just like ah like that's happened um yeah no the primitive nature of it was really good uh, it, it, yeah, it, it sort of got diffused for me because of the length of time it took to get to that moment. The whole film builds to that climactic moment and it just got a bit lessened again because of the repetitiveness. And I like what you said, how three times he bursts out of the grave, out of that Indian shell and then, uh, sorry, Na- the Native American shell and out of the out of the horse. Um, it, 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 and those scenes just extended the length of the movie and yeah so yeah just the middle um a lot of the time i was sort of thinking uh i don't know if this could have been cut down i mean there were some beautiful shots like you said um and seeing blood on snow i knew you'd appreciate you know that red on white you know just sort of a great image a great sort of 
contrast as well. It's weird how um, uh, Fitzgerald didn't, uh, Tom Hardy didn't bury his son. It just dragged him far away. Yeah. Like, I, I thought he would have buried him. And then when Leonardo DiCaprio um, crawls away, it's not too far from his own grave. So I was a bit muddled they there. They should have probably seen him. Yeah, yeah. He I, didn't I was even a, cover him up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was a bit muddled there with the whole geography of that sequence. I want to talk about the last shot with you, Lloyd. He's finally exacted his revenge, and Glass looks down the camera. Leonardo DiCaprio has tears in his eyes. And uh, he sort of stares there in this kind of what's next, you know. So what what do you think happens next? Oh, that's a classic uh, Hitchcock technique is to look at the lens to create that real impact to the audience. And he's looking at us. Um, like I, I, on that interview with Michael Mann, he kept saying, I did not know how to end that film. And when that moment came and I was shooting it and DiCaprio looks at the camera, we just saw that sequence um, after that for weeks and weeks i couldn't think of any other way to end it except for that moment and what else is there in a revenge film after the guy who's been going out for revenge kills the person he's he's after there there isn't anything afterwards the film should end like right away and uh in that sequence he looks at the ghosts of of his um wife and i guess he has closure in that sense like um he there is a sense of spiritual peace to the character of hugh glass and what's left there for him is just this oblivion i guess but um i don't think he dies in that sequence because and i'm only basing that purely on the on the character of hugh glass the act the character in actuality that he didn't die after those events so sorry uh, he didn't even go out for vengeance after Fitzgerald, really. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously it's like a rewritten history kind yeah. of thing here. Uh, so I guess you can rewrite it any way you like. But um, for me, he's kind of emotionally dead. He's lost everything, and it's a real. This is this time it's personal about the film, and um, he's got nothing left to lose. Even though they're cliches, they both apply here. Um, so I sort of thought, beyond this, now he has nothing left to live for, and if he went off and joined the Native Americans or just, you know, went off and did his own thing on his own, I wouldn't have been surprised at that point. Because what is there really left for him when you head back to the camp? You know, the Domino Gleason character is dead. Do you want to know how Hugh Glass dies in real life? I beg your pardon? Do you want to know how Hugh Glass dies in real life? Uh, One second. (laughs) Just let me finish this thought. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Definitely tell me. Uh, Domino Gleason's character, he brings him back. Let's say that happens. He's brought back the commanding officer. The money is gone, because Tom Hardy's body is washed away with the money, presumably. So he goes back. If he goes back and he just hangs out with the the men at the barracks, they've got no money, they've got no leadership. I feel like that would have just been more chaos. Well, uh, you also had Fitzgerald's friend at the camp who would have put up a lot of resistance to him. And he has, Hugh Glass has a shady past in this film because he did kill an officer. And they always use that against him, that he is a guy that's an outsider. He's not really one of us. He's had uh, a a child with the Native Americans. Um, So, and, you know, is he one of them? Like, I think there'll be a lot of, um, I don't think there'll be a place for him to go at all. Like, he yeah but how he dies in real life is from native americans him and two others were shot by um i think that indian tribe uh, that sorry a native american tribe that attacks him at the beginning that tribe um actually kills him in actuality it's amazing he doesn't die in any of the sequences because there's constant fear of death and so many arrows that should have probably hit him but <laughs> yeah i mean i know it's it's a it's a dramatized version of events and i know it's not 
actually what happened. A lot of people have said it was too much and there were too many Bear Grylls survival techniques. (laughs) I actually love those those sequences. I love watching a person just go about... Like, there was a movie uh, recently called... um, Oh, my gosh. It starred... Oh, geez, I'm forgetting the name. But, like, Castaway and things like that. I I love those survival movies. I think they're absolutely um, fantastic. There's a television show, and I'm sure it's on air everywhere. So um, it's called I Shouldn't Be Alive. And uh, pretty much what happens is it does a dramatic reenactment of a plane crash or, you know, a shipwreck and how somebody survived and that person is being interviewed uh, throughout the... You know, we're cutting back from them now to their the dramatized version of events uh i felt a bit like this one could have been done um with leonardo dicaprio's character sitting there saying uh okay well i mean native americans <laughs> if you don't have a lighter America. if you don't have a lighter just splash these two things together <laughs> yeah. i learned how to make a fire uh, i had to uh you know fix the the wound in my neck and <laughs> lucky they sutured me up before they left me but you know i just Sometimes I thought there could have been like a, a voiceover that would have been really comical, obviously, and not fitted this film at all. But um, Leonardo DiCaprio really only comes out with films every couple of years now, it looks like. He's not slated for anything on IMDb, and I'm sure that's because whatever he's working on next is top secret, and uh, we'll find out when the director announces it, and then it'll become the biggest project of whatever year. You know, it's always good to try and do a Leonardo DiCaprio film on this and also I mean an Alejandro Gonzalez in Ratu uh it's great to sort of track his career as well on this podcast Lloyd. yeah I think this has been a great follow-up to actually winning the Academy Award like uh usually I, I think um people said there's always a curse with the Academy Award like after you win it you sort of go downhill uh, Ali Berry <laughs> <laughs> um Helen uh, is it Helen Hunt from um As Good As It Gets yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, uh, you know, I hear those quotes all the time, but this is a very, very good follow-up um, to The Amazing Birdman, which is a film, uh, you guys should definitely l- listen to that podcast. Uh, I really like that film. thought it was really breathtaking. And this is a very grim, dark movie. I had issues with it, but uh, overall, this is a great, great film. Like, to, to watch the photography was brilliant. The performances were brilliant. What they did on film, like, what's actually on screen, you just can't believe what you're watching. That's a guy getting mauled by a bear and it is terrifying the action sequences alone in this film were breathtaking and all these survival um scenes that we talked about i really liked yeah that stretched out a few times the spiritual scenes for me dragged out repetitively but it was pretty good oh by the way that movie i just completely um came out of my mind is all is lost starring robert redford uh, i thought that film was really good and that that's like hardly any dialogues in that movie he's just trying to survive you know we also did a podcast on that <laughs> and i i just love watching that like watching a person go to work and figure things out sort of thing for me this film is going to win cinematography awards whether it's the oscars whether it's the globes i feel like cinematography is fantastic and technical awards could even win some of those leonardo dicaprio has a lot of competition in the danish girl eddie redmayne's performance apparently that's the favorite and the one to beat we haven't seen that yet so um release dates are a little off in australia we don't get the hateful eight till well after you americans yeah we're, we're getting gypped all over the place the only film that we got before you guys was the force awakens that's true there was a good 18 hours of us <laughs> to enjoy it 
which was fantastic and, and it made me think that we should be covering the Star Wars episodes with midnight screenings so uh, you guys can look forward to that on our podcast yeah we're going to muscle through all those midnight screenings and stay up and podcast just for you <laughs> this film isn't going to win any editing awards because the major problem for me is 156 minutes and even if you cut 10 minutes out of it um, I think it would have been a much well I suppose a tighter uh, better paced film uh, there was a bit too much snow landing on Leo's tongue and um, <laughs> I suppose not enough, um, you know, getting to the meat and potatoes of this revenge story, like you say, Lloyd. Yeah, it's a very straightforward. I, I like story. it how that scene sticks out for you because this is a very grim story, and quite often Dave and I are big fans. If there's humour in the movie, we absolutely love that. But it just felt so out of place to have that here. Like this is a guy who's just emerged from the grave. There is one thing on his mind: recover and revenge that's all there is and it's weird how he yeah he's having that moment of fun with that indian you know it just it really does stick out and just like all right just just cut this it doesn't seem right (laughs) yeah and for me as well that the audience was largely silent like i said they had a laugh at that one point where leonardo dicaprio's character hugh glass is going down the sort of small waterfalls and maybe that's comical but a few people laughing at that otherwise it was almost silence except for the bear attack during the bear attack people were um you know audibly gasping and it's weird how it didn't hook them that action sequence maybe action sequence is the one take it's just been done too many times now people aren't impressed with it because i remember when we first saw one take action sequences and i'm struggling to remember the earliest one like all i could think of is touch of evil but i'm (laughs) i'm sure i could think of a better one but you're just like oh my god it's not cutting this is amazing just creates a sense of immediacy it's Hmm. just yeah you like you're actually there you know one of my favorites is in children of men oh um, yeah G- great example yeah there's a few like very long uh action sequences where the camera doesn't cut and it it's noticeable because you know you're following the action with clive owen it's a great film check it out if you haven't my audience uh, was uh, as i said looking at their phone so i think um a lot of uh, casual viewers came into this thinking it was a dicaprio action movie you know like oh let's check this out and then coming to find this really long drawn out movie and they were looking at their phones a lot and i really hate that because those flashing lights really annoy me <laughs> and that's one of the problems with going to the movies isn't it you don't get to choose your audience yeah and the people having conversations sometimes the entire time you're just like oh are you serious <laughs> the one thing that i noticed was annoying was one of the ushers came in with a torch and shined it like at all of us at the audience and sort of just like into all of our faces and they were looking to see where the gaps in seats were because they were ushering somebody in to sit down after the movie had started and i was like whoa what's this dave you've you know? done that before how would you have handled that oh you keep it at your leg and um i mean you use the light from the screen the existing light natural light like the revenant tortoise you don't need additional <laughs> lights <laughs> Alrighty, well, 2016 is going to be a big year for movies. Um, Great start to the year, by the way, Dave. Uh, Great choice in uh, choosing to do The Revenant. Well, I'm looking forward to the next one. It's one of your choices, Lloyd. Uh, We're going to be watching uh, She's Funny That Way. And um, Peter Bogdanovich, I understand, is a favourite of yours. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can't wait. That should be a lot of fun. And this is a screwball comedy, which is one of his favourite genres. And we get to watch the uh, ongoing evolution of Miss Jennifer Aniston from Rachel and Friends to where she is now. (laughs) Or you could go back further in Leprechaun. (laughs) Oh, yes, you could. 
which uh, segues very nicely, Lloyd, into telling people about our YouTube channel, which, uh, of course, covers obscure films with famous stars in them in those roles that you may not have seen. So um, you can find all the links to our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, us on Twitter. You can hit us up and tell us that Native Americans is no longer what they want to be called or, or whatever you like. <laughs> Uh, and you can find all that at podmeifyoucan.com. But uh, 2016, it's going to be a big year. We've got Hateful Eight coming up. We've got Captain America Civil War coming up. Uh, the Batman big one. Batman vs. Superman, I think. Batman vs. Superman. Yeah. Uh, on our way towards Star Wars Rogue One at the end of the year. It's it's going to be pretty good. I mean, cinema has never been more fun. And we're never getting so many films all at once. And it's, in a way, it's too. It's like reliving our childhood. Because like last year, we were saying Jurassic World. You know, we're going to have Jurassic World too. You know, who's not looking forward to another dinosaur movie? Like, uh, they ask uh, Quentin Tarantino, "How do you feel about this age of all these comic book movies?" He goes, "I think it's great. I j- it just sucks. I had to wait till my fifties for this to happen." <laughs> exactly. Well, we didn't have to wait that long. No, not great. at all. Yeah, we're so spoiled. And uh, you guys can find a whole back catalogue of, uh, including Birdman, including um, All Is Lost including uh oh geez there's tons of stuff this is 144 episodes of pod me if you can so uh stick with us with 2016 and uh thanks very much for listening hit it Ooh. Yeah, yeah. thank you for listening please like us on facebook and follow us on twitter go to www.podmeifyoucan.com pod me if you can movie reviews 